0: Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Before we take the Lord's Supper together tonight, I want you to go back and look at that original Passover with me. The Lord kind of led in a different direction today with this and spoke to my heart and So, if you'll allow me, I'm going to do something before we take the Lord's Supper together. Exodus chapter 12. This is where the Lord institutes Passover with Moses and the people of Israel. This is the first one. This one is somewhere around 1446 B.C. when this happens. And the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, I want you to understand something. That the place that the Passover lamb comes for you is in the place of bondage in the, in the world. That's where he comes. He doesn't say, you know, you got to get out of Egypt first. you got you to get it together and get it right, and then I'll come to you. No, the Passover lamb comes to us in Egypt. He comes to us when we're still in bondage. In verse 2, it says, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. I want you to notice this. He's saying, The Lamb's going to come, and, he, and he's going to be available to you, and if you'll receive him, it'll be a new beginning. It'll be different. It'll be the Lord changed the calendar here for the Israelites. They had a regular civil calendar, similar to ours, that they had followed, and they still continued to follow. It still was a part of their life. But from this point forward, the Lord established a new calendar, and it became the predominant calendar for them. It was only a seven-month calendar, but it was a religious calendar. And it started with Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and Firstfruits, all this. Fifty days later, you would have Pentecost penta meaning fifty. This is, this is the, the other big celebration that they had. There are other feasts, but they, there are three main ones and they, you see them in this calendar kind of right in the middle and then at the end you're going to have tabernacles, trumpets, all of that's going to another one of those 3 feasts at the end. And he said, I'm gonna change your calendar. Do you know what Jesus did when he came into the Passover lamb in Exodus? When all of this happens, it changes the calendar for the Jewish people. What happens when Jesus comes into the world? He changed the calendar. Nobody else has ever changed the calendar. Muhammad didn't change the calendar. Buddha didn't change the calendar. Nobody has changed the calendar. Great generals, great military leaders, nobody has ever changed the calendar. Just Jesus. Today, when we date anything, we are remembering the Lord Jesus. A.D., Ad Domini, in the year of our Lord, B.C., before Christ. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is the central figure of all human history. Everything in this life finds its meaning, its purpose, its balance in him. Apart from him, there is no meaning or purpose or balance. Everything finds it in him. Now he goes on. He says, it shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. Now there is a lot in this. Let me read the next verse too. And if the household is too small for a lamb then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. All right. there's a lot in those two verses. First of all, he says it's for everybody. Tell all the congregation of Israel, tell everybody, this is for you. I'm going to tell you today, in case no one's ever told you, Jesus is for you. Everybody, everybody, he's for you. You say, Troy, you don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've not done and that I should have done. You don't know any of that. I know, you're right. I don't know any of that. All I know to tell you is what God Almighty told them, this is for you. This is for you. The Passover lamb is for you. Jesus is for you. He's for me. I don't want to say this again because sometimes, see, I almost didn't do this tonight. This is where the Holy Spirit really convicted me because I thought, you know, Lord, all the folks who come on Good Friday, they already know you. They know this message, maybe. Or maybe there were just like some here who were, they were around it, but they didn't really know. And we're going to get to why that's so important. But it is for everyone. But then it says that the fathers or the, the heads of household were to go and to take a lamb for their household. They had to go take it. It was, it's interesting because it tells us later what the lamb had to be, how it had to be pure, it had to be spotless. It, It told us the qualifications. It was the same qualification. The lamb had to be the same for everyone, and yet each one had to take it individually. Each father had to take it. And then it said for the household. I want to tell you something. Matter of fact, I want to ask you a question. How many of you today... Are here as a follower a believer in Jesus Christ but there is not one single individual in your family not one who is a believer a follower anyone who had influence in your life who's a follower of Jesus is there anybody here that can say that you're a follower but there's not a single person all right there's one there's a couple there's one there there's a few over here any back here is there any, are you a believer and follower of Jesus Christ today, but there's nobody in your family who's a follower, not a single individual person? All right. So I've got six, seven out of this room. You know what I believe the Lord's saying here? He's saying that your testimony, your word, your testimony of who Jesus is and what he's done in your life, it has influence, it has impact. And the place that it has the greatest impact are those closest to you. It's, this is, some call it household salvation. I don't necessarily believe in household salvation because every person has to choose Jesus for themselves. But I do believe there's household influence. That when that is the testimony and the pursuit of my life, when Jesus is the pursuit of my life, it influences the people around me. It can't help but. He goes on and he describes to them what this lamb must look like. It must be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you may keep it until the 14th. They had to be kept for four days. That's powerful. That's another picture. You'll see this when Jesus enters into Jerusalem and the four days that pass, and then he takes the Passover. He follows this feast, folks, I mean to the letter. You should keep it to the 14th day of the month and when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel should kill the lamb at twilight, right at at dusk, right at dark. That's the reason Jesus, when he took the last supper with his disciples, when he took Passover meal with them, he did it at night. He did it after 6 p.m., Right at twilight they began that. And then he's going to leave there and go into Gethsemane. And all that's going to happen to Jesus and by nine o'clock the next morning he's going to be on the cross. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house. This translation says they shall take some of it and put it. I like the, the the NASB and I think the New King James say they applied it. They applied. Remember the old song that there to my heart was the blood applied. We don't have a good door in here, all right? All of our doors are double doors. There's no single door, so the illustration doesn't work as well. You probably can't see me over there, so look at that door, all right? (laughs) Okay. Look at the side of the door. I'm over here on the right-hand side of the door as you're facing it. They're going to put blood on the right-hand side of that door. And they're going to put blood over here on the left-hand side of that door. And again, imagine it's a single door, not a double door. The illustration works better. All right? And they're going to do that. And then they're going to go up here in the middle, and they're going to apply blood up here in the middle, and they're going to put it on there with hyssop. And it's going to drip down from the top down to the bottom. And what do you see? When it drips from the top to the bottom and on either side, what do you see? It's the cross. It's the cross. It's there 1,446 years before Jesus ever goes to a cross. It's there. This whole book talks about him. Every bit of it. It has to be applied. They take some of the blood and they apply it there. And they shall, verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. It's got to be taken in. It can't just be observed, folks. You've got to take it in. This whole deal is a picture of Jesus... I'm all in. I'm all in. Because when you eat something, you're all in. You take a risk and you go for it. You go. Have you ever been someplace that they serve you something you're not familiar with? And there comes a point where you just make the decision. I'm either in or out. All right. I'm in or out. I've eaten some nasty stuff, people. But I was all in. Once you start, you're all in. And once you're all in, it's in you. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when you take this, you need to understand, I have done everything that's necessary. Do you realize that Jesus? there is nothing else that Jesus has to do when it comes to sin? Nothing else. It has all been done. That's the reason Hebrews says it repeatedly, that he died once for all. That means once for all sin and once for all people. It's already done. There's nothing else that God has to do when it comes to sin. There's nothing else. It's already all been done. But that doesn't mean that what he's done has been applied to me, I must receive it. I have to receive it, I have to be all in. I've got to believe and receive. He goes on. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled or in water, but roasted, why? I think he did it roasted because fire is a picture not only of the Holy Spirit, fire is also a picture of the wrath and the judgment of God. So that little lamb is roasted Jesus was roasted, if you will, the wrath of God poured out on him. I've wondered before, have you ever wondered that why from twelve o'clock to three o'clock it was pitch black? Why it was dark? And say, was it an eclipse? What it was ever. I have a theory. Again, I don't know that scripture tells us, but I have a theory. I believe it's twofold. I believe, number one, that all of the sin, past, present, and future, is accumulated in that one place. Mine, yours, and the sins of the whole world are accumulated there. Can you imagine the darkness? All the guilt, all the shame, every bit of it, all right there. I also believe something else was happening, and I believe this is because of Colossians 2. I believe that all the demons and devils of hell were there too. Because they thought in that moment God had gone too far. That in his love for creation, in his love for mankind, he had gone too far. And they had won. And they didn't realize that in his love for mankind, he won. But they were all there, I believe. They were all there. And all the forces of hell and all the sins, past, present, and future of mankind gathered in that place. And it was dark. He goes on. I got to find where I was. I lost my place. Verse 10, and you shall, thank you, and you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning, you shall burn. There's enough for every person, but you can't share it. You say, what do you mean? I I can share, yeah, you can tell people about Jesus, but you can't eat it for them, and they can't eat off of your plate. Each person has to receive Jesus for themselves. If you're younger in here, and you've grown up like my kids in a Christian home and in church and in Christian school or around Christian influence, you know the stories. We could have a Bible drill tonight and you'd all win. You know the stories. You know everything. You know the right answer. You know what you're supposed to do in a given situation, and what you're not supposed to do. That's all fine and dandy. But I don't really care. I really don't. I care about one thing, Is Jesus real to you? Have you received him? Have you said, Jesus, you're my only hope and I receive you as my Lord, as my Savior. I receive you as the payment for my sin. I receive you as the life that I don't have. You bring me from death to life. That's exactly what was happening with the Passover lamb. They were receiving the Passover lamb and they were moving from death to life. From bondage to freedom. He goes on, and in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I think that's a picture of the fact that it's right now, not tomorrow. What happens if one of these fathers decides, you know, I don't really wanna go get a lamb and do all this, Um, we'll do it tomorrow. What happens? What happens to him? What happens to his family? The death angel comes over and no blood is applied. And they suffer the same fate as the Egyptians. Folks, there is no tomorrow. There's only today. There is no tomorrow. I remember years ago as a young man, I was reading the, the um, biography of D.L. Moody. It was written by his son. And there was a point in there where Moody was preaching, and he had a packed house, and he shared the gospel as he was so often. He shared the gospel with him, and he was preaching out of that passage of scripture where it says where Pilate asked the question of the crowd, what would you have me do with this man, Jesus? And so Moody said to all those people who were there that day, hundreds, thousands of them that were there that day, he said, what will you do with this man called Jesus? He said, I want you to go home this week. And I want you to think about it. I want you to wrestle. I want you to wrestle with that question. What are you going to do with this man they call the Christ, Jesus? What are you going to do with him? He said, I want you to come back here next week, and I want you to tell me. What are you going to do with him? The only problem was Moody didn't know that that week the Chicago fire was going to happen. And many of those people didn't come back the next week because they died. And Moody wept. And he said, by God's grace, I will never, ever do that again. I will never, ever have a group of people and share the love of God with them and share with them the message of salvation and say, now tell me next week what you're going to do with it. Now. Now. Today's the only day you got. You may have tomorrow, but you may not. I may not. Today's the only thing we know for certain. This is what he's saying. Be ready. Curd up, have your feet... Because they're going to have to move. They're going to have to march. But he says, do it in haste. Do it now. Not tomorrow. And then he goes on. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, and on the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood... I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask you a very simple question. I'm not going to ask you if you've been to church because obviously you have. I don't care if you've been going to church for the last 50 years. That's great. It's awesome. It's a good thing to do. I don't care if you read your Bible. again, it's a good thing to do. I don't care if you do good deeds, also a good deed, a good thing to do. Or if you give money to the church and charities, also a good thing to do. But it doesn't matter. Do you understand that? It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you believe and receive the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's all that matters. Nothing else matters. And I don't care whether you've heard the message a hundred times or a thousand times, I'm asking you tonight before the Lord to just ask him, Jesus, am I yours? Have I really believed? Have I received? Have I taken it? Have I taken you? I'm willing, Lord, to be yours, and you be mine. Wherever that leads, whatever that means, whatever it looks like, I'm yours, you're mine. I'm trusting in nothing else, and no one else. If you don't know for sure tonight, then could I just encourage you and lead you? Just right where you are, you and the Lord. It's just you and Him. There's nobody else here. It's just you and Him. If His Spirit's calling you and drawing you, then you simply say, Jesus, I believe. I believe. I believe that I am sinful, that I am wicked, that my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. I am undone. And all of my good works won't save me. That I can't be good enough. This is the gospel, folks. Your good works, my good works, they will not save us. I had the privilege a couple years ago of a man who was in his 80s and he was dying. And I went and sat with him and I could tell he was unsettled. He'd been in church his whole life. And he looked at me and he said, Troy, I'm not sure that I've done enough. And I looked at him and I said, I'm sure you haven't. And he looked surprised at me. And I said, if you're trusting in what you have done, you have not done enough. You must trust in what Jesus has done and him only. And I had the privilege of leading that man to the Lord. And a week later, he was with the Lord. So I'm asking you again tonight, be sure, be sure. And if the Spirit prompts you, just tell him you believe. Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I believe you are the payment for my sin. I believe that you are the resurrection of life. I believe you're my only hope. I believe right now that I have been given grace by you to receive you and right now I receive you. I receive you. Right now I believe that you're indwelling me by your Holy Spirit and that you say I'm your child, that you're saving me for whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved and this how I believe I believe that you'll empower me Lord to hear you and to walk with you every day of my life I believe you'll never leave me or forsake me I believe that you love me with an everlasting love and I believe that you call me accepted and beloved I believe. I believe that you are at work and will be at work in me to transform me so that I look like you. I believe. And by the way, even if you are a believer tonight, you're, you know the Spirit of God indwells you, these statements are for you too. They're for us. I believe. I believe that he has indwelt me. I believe that he is changing me and that he will keep on changing and transforming me. I believe he will never leave me. I believe that I am accepted and beloved in him. I believe that I am the apple of his eye, that I am his favorite. And so are you. I believe. I believe and receive. When we take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, it is simply an outward demonstration of what we inwardly believe. That we are all in, Jesus. That everything, we have, we have bet it all, we are all in for you. Every bit. Nothing, no one else, just you, Jesus. Lord I pray for each one here tonight that you would speak by your Holy Spirit that you would confirm to your children that they are your children and that you would speak to those who are not sure or maybe even deceived and you would call them you would call them to you that they would believe and receive Lord I thank you That's what this is all about. That's why we do this. It's why you died and why you rose again. It is the foundation. It is the beginning. It's not the end. It is the beginning. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for what you're doing. Now, we're going to... I'm going to close this prayer in just a minute, but before I do, if tonight you... Encountered the Lord for the first time. You recognize maybe I thought I was saved or never, or maybe I never thought I never was, but tonight God did something in me. I believed and He changed me. He did something. Before you leave here, I want you to tell somebody. You say, well, this is a private, personal matter. Not really, it really isn't. It's private and personal in a sense, it's between you and the Lord, but it's not meant for you to keep it to yourself. And on top of that, we get to rejoice with you and we walk this journey together and encourage one another. You can come tell me. You can tell Pastor Paul. You can tell any of our prayer partners, any of our worship team up here. You, you see them, you know, maybe you say, yeah, I don't, can't get to any of the right. You grab one of them, tell them. Grab, just grab somebody and say, hey, I believed tonight. I believed. I also want to encourage you another way. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in a minute. This is for believers. It is something that we do because we say we have believed. If you have believed either tonight or before tonight, then I encourage you to take this. It's an indication, as a reminder: Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in. You say, Pastor, I messed up this week. I, I really messed up, I, I sinned, you just don't know. I, I do know, I have a pretty good idea. You and I do not come to the Lord's table because we are worthy. We come because he's worthy. I'm not coming here presenting my good deeds. I'm coming here receiving his good work that is done and is finished. And I am saying again, Lord Jesus, I want you by your spirit to change me, to deliver me, to change the way I think and the way I live because I know that in this area of my life, it doesn't line up with who you say I am and what you want to do in me. But that doesn't keep you from this. Actually, this is something that pushes you more toward the Lord, not causing you to run away. It causes you to run to him and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. I need you especially in this area of my life because I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. And Lord, I ask that you would do that in each one of us here tonight. And beyond this room, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. I want you to look at me for just a second. And while you're doing that, the men who are going to help me serve, if you come on forward. But as we read a moment ago, it said that Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it. He blessed it. And it was a very simple blessing that he gave over it. He said, I praise you, my Father, King of the universe, King of heaven, that you bring forth bread from the ground, that you bring forth life from the ground. Because without it, how do we live? That's what he did. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the life, you are the bread of life that he raised up from the ground, that we have life in you and everything that we need. And so tonight, Lord, we receive this, remembering you, thanking you and praising you, and once again saying, Lord, here we are, we're yours, we're all in, whatever that means, wherever it leads, whatever it costs, we're all in. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.